0: Well, we're going to, I I, I don't know how many of you saw the little text, but I said I was going to do some exegesis, a little bit, not too much. Uh, I resisted firmly last week, but uh, can't do that forever. So uh, I've got a a couple of points prepared tonight. We'll see how far we get through it. Um, And then there's a conclusion out of it that really struck me. And I hope that I can get it across to you. And I'm curious to to hear what you have to think about it. So, same situation we looked at last week. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and in you. And it just struck me, the whole idea of the Spirit of truth. So regardless of the mystery of, of the Spirit, regardless of the various ways that We've all grown up uh, being taught that He works, seeing how the Spirit works, or she. I've heard that. Uh, That can create some confusion. The very fact that one of the preeminent titles and one of the ministries that Jesus identified specifically was here, that the Spirit of Truth, um, it does something. It does something to create anticipation in me about being closer to the Holy Spirit and the value of, of that understanding. So... I went back to our introduction, and uh, we're going to be on this for a few weeks because there's a lot of detailed scripture. We collected a goodly group of questions last week. But this idea here, uh, going back to the participation of the Spirit of God in the creation of the heavens and the earth, I'm going to look at it in a little bit more detail. So most of you know that God in Genesis chapter 1 is the word Elohim. Most of you know that it's a plural word. And uh it, it has to do when it's used in a secular sense, even in a secular sense in Hebrew, it, it can mean gods or magistrates or something like that. But it was the the unique uh designator when talking about the about Yahweh, uh that that carried the plural with the direct article as a single and, and all that kind of stuff. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit, the Ruach, of Elohim. And so then this sent me looking at the, the various uses of the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord. Um, and so I found a helpful little translation cue in the New American Standard. And I don't know how many of you are using the New American Standard. But uh, anytime it says uh, Spirit of God with a capital G and a lowercase O and a D, that capital G, lowercase O and a D, is Elohim. Anytime it says Lord with a capital L and O-R-D, a smaller capital, that is Yahweh, at least in the New American Standard. And there's about an equal number uh, in my search, there's about an equal number of places and times where um, the Spirit of God was used, uh, and the other was the Spirit of of Yahweh. And then, if you have Lord with a capital L and a lowercase o-r-d in the New American Standard, that is Adonai. And um, I think that's about... Oh no, there's one more that's uh, L, and that is with a capital G... And then a shorter, but capital uppercase O and D. So as you read the New American Standard, when you're checking, if you're going through scripture about the spirit, uh, those are the various names that is associated with in the Hebrew. So the significance of that, I, I don't want to over interpret my own thoughts about it, but I do think the, uh, uh, I think it's interesting that in the language of the Old Testament, there were this diversity of references and probably kind of a cool thing. So anyhow, we looked at this. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim was moving uh, and and then this word, Rah-Khap, rah <laughs> terrible pronunciation, it, it, it's where certain translations get the idea of flutter. Certain ideas get the uh, idea of brood over. But what's interesting about it is elsewhere in the Old Testament, this word is used in the brooding sense, but in the fertilizing sense. I don't know if any of you ever saw that, but it was pretty, pretty interesting. So it wasn't just brooding... In in like a, a looking in an emotional sense, which I didn't think that's what it was, but it was brooding more like a, a hen broods over, or an eagle hovers over. There there is a, a Deuteronomy passage that specifically cites this in the context of talking about an e- an eagle who stirs up her nest and then hovers over and catches up her children. So it's very involved, and this was one of the things that started as I began to dig into these a little bit. It started. S- me down a path that was getting more and more excited about the value of of looking into this thing and looking into it with some detail. So that's that idea of brooding, but even the idea of fertilizing. And so my mind made the connection of the Spirit of God is going to come upon you, and you're going to be with child, and that child is going to be. So without becoming too indelicate in the thinking, this is not like the, the, the act of, of the incarnation of Jesus was not something foreign to the very first introduction of the Spirit of God over creation. And, and so I'm saying, well, if, if that ties in, at least in the language, if that ties in, what else does? And so I got, I got kind of excited about looking into it. So anyway, here's Genesis one, <clears throat> uh, one through three. Now six through eight is, and I, want, I just want to read this. It was impossible to put it all up there. But I want you to, to let me read the, these passages. And you can read along with me if you've got your Bible. But, so I'll just start from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was upon the surface of the deep. Now, the word surface there is the Hebrew word for face. And it's also the same uh, word for face that is used in the concept of presence a lot of times. So again, these little clues are starting to jump off at me that there's something much more relational, much more organic. In other words, this isn't a construction project that the office is back there with a set of blueprints. This is an involvement on the part of God and on the part of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of God. So... <clears throat> Uh, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters, the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay, so now, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. So we're going to go through the days a little bit. And then I want, I want you to to think with me about what we are actually observing. And I allowed myself to assume that the Spirit of God fertilizing, hovering over, brooding over the surface of the waters was a continuation down through this, this creation story in chapter one. So, um, I, I'm, I'm willing to, to make, assume that the Spirit of God, think about it in terms of the Spirit of God being a part of the creation that was going on. So then God said, uh, Oh, I already read that one. No, here he goes. Then God said... I got I'm going to put them up here. Okay. So there was this structural expansion coming up here. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, second day. All right, now, up until this time, this pr- preparation for me, I just thought of this as the details, or one version of the details, chapter one version versus chapter two version. Chapter one version of the details that sort of explained why the universe looked like it did. You know. So, okay, God made the heavens and the earth. It was formless, and the first form it took was it established a division between the heavens and what was down here. All right. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am saying it revealed something in the midst of this preparation to me of how committed we are, if we're not conscious of it, to evaluating everything from our point of view, from our perspective. In other words, because there is above and a below, a sky and an earth, and even now with our, you know, a little bit broader understanding of the cosmos and the space and all that kind of stuff, I still am reading back my expectations into this. So I tried in the middle of preparation to back away from that a little bit and say, well, what is really being said here if this isn't just a plain old uh, science lesson, you know, <laughs> or something like that? So, <clears throat> and, and there was evening and there was morning, a second day. So now here comes day three. Then God said... Let the waters below the heaven be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. And and then that that caused me to reflect back on that thing about brooding and fertilization. And so something of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, was one of the mechanisms, the relational mechanisms with the land. And so this was a fertile ground, obviously, looking at it. Uh, And so in a minute, I'm going to ask us why. But it said, uh, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees uh, on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The seed after their kind, the tree bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, a third day. All right, so now I'm expecting something. More than just a recounting of what, you know, at the end of this story, I expect the world to look like it looks outside. So in verse 14, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God made them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day so about this time in the narrative when i had extracted myself from just the expectation that what it was saying in here was reflecting what i expected to be outside or what i expected to be i started being open i felt to what was really going on here what really was in the heart of god what really was this this uh, birthing process this creating process this fertilization process that was going on and then i you know personally for me i reflected on some passages that mean a lot to me, uh, Colossians one that, uh, speaking about Jesus that through him and for him and by him and everything was made that was made and all this kind of stuff. And that he's the one through whom God created the, the cosmos. So I'm going, wow, there's a system being built here. There's a system of, of a structure being put in place. What is it being put in place for? In other words, what is, what is the plan behind it? What is the wisdom behind it? What is the logic behind it? And I started thinking, wow, well, okay, obviously, the plenty that comes from the seed-bearing, reproductive nature provides food and sustenance. And it makes room for this place to survive time. It didn't have to do that. There could have just been a Poof, bunch of plants, and the short ones were like grass and they only lasted a season. And the, the old, uh, you know, so eventually after 150 years or something along those lines, 150 cycles of that stuff, uh, all you'd had left was those old sequoias, you know, and, and everybody, that'd be it. But the intricacy with which life was being sown into this creation. Began to speak to me of a purpose that I that I had ignored for a while. <laughs> That's okay, Lisa. Yeah, all right, I got it. Um, then I thought about okay, so these lights. This is making not only a sustainable but a renewable environment. Um, there was there was darkness at night. So you could sleep. There were ways to measure your life. There were ways to measure time. There were ways to measure seasons. And I'm going, huh. That's cool. Made the stars also. Thinking ahead. Well, do you mean? Because there's stories in the sky. There's navigation available in the sky. There's reasons that the stars are... They function the way they do. all right. So He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth and to govern. And then I saw it in a different light. To govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. There was evening and there was morning. And earlier it said uh, as measurement for the signs, for the season, for the days, for the years, and so on. So I'm, I'm, I'm captured now a little bit by, there's a big purpose in here. And all the while holding in my mind the presence of the Holy Spirit, fertilizing, hovering, brooding over this thing. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Burst forth with life is what that means. I I looked up team. What is that? Um, Yeah, it means to breed. (laughs) To breed to swarm, and you know, you can kind of envision, we were at uh, Cedar Creek, and uh, while I did do some fishing, I didn't catch any fish, but it's a lake packed with with uh, warm water fish. So you know how it's like when you step near the shore of a lake, you see all those little tiny different fish in different sizes, little, little babies, and they just, you know, do that. Team, this came out of that. This, this is something that God said. This is something that the Holy Spirit participated in in that hovering, brooding, fertilizing kind of way, assuming that, that it wasn't just a one, one and done at the beginning when the things were formless. So, let me read again. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, and saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Okay, so, something that we talk about, you know, uh, in, in science, the, uh, the odds of a, a planet that somebody discovers of supporting life is almost wholly dependent upon water and atmosphere. So this water and atmosphere could have been any sort of thing it was, but it was built around a principle. And the principle was that it was life-giving. It was life-bearing. Now we've got the Holy Spirit brooding, fertilizing, hovering, birthing, Midwifing or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. The midwife is my stretch of the word, but uh, but life giving, life giving, life giving. Day five. All right. So I had known this always before, but then I realized that God was giving this kind of attention to specifically the waters and the air, and then He turns He turns to the earth, verse twenty four. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. Now this phrase, after its kind, I don't know what I thought it meant before. I thought it meant that you didn't have a lot of cross-species stuff going on. No, he made these to live, to reproduce. To sustain, to, to be established everywhere. So, this whole idea of the Spirit brooding, uh, fertilizing, bringing life, hovering, bringing to birth is just incredibly permeating all of creation. Now, it's not quite yet the, the sixth day. Then God said, okay. So I want to point to the title on the slide. Holy Spirit building the cosmos, could put that as birthing the cosmos, too, you know, the idea of hovering and the fertilizing, of God for us. We were not, you were not an afterthought. You were the thought. You and I were the thought behind this repetitive, increasingly complex giving of life. So whatever role the Holy Spirit played specifically, it's probably beyond our ability to know, but certainly the intention of Elohim and the function of the Spirit of Elohim had the, had making a place, not just any place, not just a good place, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, by declaration. But making a place for us to be created and released into. That's incredible when you think about it, because it's gonna Again, you know, I'm willing to plod along on these concepts when we're looking at something we're pretty familiar with, like the Holy Spirit, anyway. But so then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. All right. So what I'd like to ask you to do is banish from your thought any sense of randomness in creation. Any sense of, of creation that lacked design and purpose. And the focal point of the purpose, not to take away from the beauty of the stars, not to take away from all this kind of stuff, the focal point of the purpose was life and men. Now, everything else had extraordinarily good value. And God declared it good. He declared the courses of the stars in the heaven. He declared the planets. He declared the atmosphere. He declared... and then this whole thing about water that was in such a a thing, all of the emphasis throughout the Scripture on living water. In a sense, all water is living. That's what this is saying. That's how it was created. It was created to teem with life. Now, I'm not saying that the water that flows out of the throne of God isn't a special category of living water. I'm not trying to diminish that. But I'm saying... Have I spent my whole life emotionally understanding the power when I stand on the seashore in California or, or the East Coast and those waves are coming in? It does something in your heart. It does something in your spirit. Or uh, out here, you know, in a lake or, uh, like when we were there in, in, uh, Columbia, just the way the sunlight reflected off the lake and the, you know, the geese would fly over and land and you'd, the rip- there was just something there that touched me. And I think it's because that's how God made us to be touched, and then He made this stuff before He made us to touch us. This is the forethought of of the Spirit of God. This is the forethought of God our Father. This is the forethought of Jesus, the one through whom, for whom, and by whom. So this stuff, was, if it was made, if, if what Paul says there is true, and we can place that emphasis that all creation was made by Jesus, sustained by Him, and for Him, and through Him. He was exercising that authority. In in some ways, certainly on behalf of you and me, out of love. That's why you enjoy hiking by a stream. Or watching the sun come down over the ocean and the waves coming in. That's why you enjoy sitting under a porch and hearing the rainfall. All these things they reflect the attitude of God physically and emotionally and spiritually toward us. So then this idea of, oh my gosh, I've made a really complicated world and I'm too tired now to keep going, so I'm going to make somebody to take care of it. That's the wrong way to think about it. And I'm not saying anybody thinks that way, but we're tempted that way. We're, You know, when you see how big the world is and All the things that are there, everything that can be done, and all the negative things that happen with fires and storms and everything, it can make you feel pretty insignificant, pretty small. But that's not true. It's not true at all. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea. So, I, I want you to get this in, in your mind and, and just let it ruminate in you to define sort of the mission as you think about the Spirit of God. When God said, let the waters teem with life, He wasn't just thinking about the waters and He wasn't just thinking about the fish. He was thinking about us. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Same thing. When he, when he caused the atmosphere to embrace the mobility of the life of the birds and all that stuff and the butterflies, it was, it was with a view to what we saw, to the lifting of our spirits, to the imaginations that it stirred. This is incredible. I'm just like freaked out by it. Same thing with all the animals. Now I don't know how that reconciles with let's find a helper for him and all that kind of stuff. We'll have to worry about that if we get into Genesis two. We'll see. Then God said, Behold, I have given every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird in the sky, and everything that moves in the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, uh, you can just acknowledge with a glance, do you think that we can overemphasize the relational intentionality that was carried out in creation by the Spirit of God, by Yahweh, by God, Elohim? I don't think so. I think that we could plumb that. We could press out into it. And and our imaginations, our adoration, our worship would always fall short. Not to the point of being condemned by it, but just like, oh my goodness. You know what I mean? Okay. Now here's a little technical thing. And I don't know if this is right, but this is how I read it. I think that there was a better place to break the chapters between one and two. So I'm going to read the last part of that again, and I'm going to not make the chapter break. Uh, God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their host. By the seventh day God completed His work, which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work, which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Then in verse 4, it sounds to me like that's where a more logical place for the chapter. This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created in that day the Lord God made. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and, and um, down here in this 4, there's, there's a word, a couple words there that are interesting to be introduced here. God rested. That's Shabbat. So the whole principle, and we all knew this, we all knew this, but the whole principle of a Sabbath, the whole principle of rest, the whole principle of trust that goes with that was here in this, in this beginning, in this story. God rested. But the one that really freaked me out was when it said, So uh he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. So the word for blessed is the word by rock. Barak. There it is. Um, I've got it noted down there for you. You know what the root meaning of Barak is? To kneel. To kneel. Now wait. And, and, and this is pretty consistent as it's going on. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of the, the Scripture where Barak is used throughout the Scripture is about people kneeling to bless God. It's also, though, uh, the primary meaning of people rendering honor to one another as well, to kneel. Now, try to wrap your mind around the conclusion, the the concluding declaration of all of this creation, from start to finish, with the relationship with his sons in mind, his creation in mind, that God knelt to bless. Please, let's let that destroy any concept of a distant God. A God who sits back like this and then looks at you to see if you're managing things properly or whatever. No. This whole thing from formlessness and void to all of these details was so that God could come and and go, how you doing? <laughs> how you doing? And I'm not trying to belittle God. Yeah. I'm trying to say this is why he's there. And, all right, so this is me doing a semi-Mickey Mouse teaching on the chapter one version of creation. But the prominence in our study of the Holy Spirit where this is the first act, the creative act, in which the Spirit was specifically articulated as being an instrumental part. Hovering over the face of the waters, fertilizing them, you know, organizing them, fluttering and so on. This says something about what our expectations about the Holy Spirit should be. The work that the Spirit did in creation, step by step, detail after detail, in perfect order, was so Father God could walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. And so when we, when we allow ourselves to think that the, the fall and the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and all of that junk that went on, that that is the most defining issue of this creation story, the most, you know that's, I think, one reason why it's not even in this part of the story. because this is revealing the heart of the Father. This is revealing, the purpose of the Spirit of truth. From the beginning, the love of the Father for you and me and everybody that has been a part of this line of humanity that this earth was created for. And then just to keep in mind that it's no accident when you walk beside a, a stream here in Colorado that your soul just lifts up. It's refreshing. I've had a hard day. i got to go for a walk. I makes perfect sense now. That makes perfect sense. You know, we've got all kinds of cultural, culturally driven, artificial pressures that come from that. And so, yeah. Elizabeth down there in Florida, it's why she enjoys being near the beach. I mean, come on, you know. This is, uh, Paul, Paul is out every day walking with the Lord because we're, we're touched by the intention of the heart of the Father and by the design with which we were created in His image and likeness. And and God didn't just say, oh, this is good because it'll work good for men. It's good on its own. The course of the stars and the planets and the orbits and all, God looked at that and said, this is good. I saw it and it's good. He enjoys it too. He enjoys it with us. He enjoys it through us. And the Spirit of God is an integral part of that. So, When I reflect back on the sort of... and and, and I'm not trying to be overly critical about this, but I am applying it to myself. When I thought back to the sort of mercenary way I thought about what the Holy Spirit had for me. You know, the gifts, the anointings, the various things. Those are all fantastic. I believe in them. We're going to get to them. We're going to study them. But without the foundation of realizing that the work of the Holy Spirit as it was initially released into creation was so that the intimacy with the Father could be there, then I'm going to be on the wrong track all the time. And I just want to cast that off. I just want to cast that off. So anyway, that's that was the point that I got. Okay, what a starting point. Uh, Fertilizing, birthing, midwifing life into existence according to the love of the Father, the design of the Father, is one of the primary. So now think about this. Uh, and I don't know that we can necessarily make this a direct scriptural link, but sandwiched in between, and God made the, Elohim made the heavens and the earth, and the spirit of Elohim, Rah Elohim, was hovering over the water, brooding over the waters, fertilizing the waters, fluttering over the waters. Uh, and then Elohim said... And then things start happening based on what God said. I believe the Spirit has something to do with that Word. And then when you take that back to Jesus, that He was the Word and and through Him everything was made that has been made and all this kind of stuff, the intention, the purpose of God administering life has always been the same. It's always been for relationship. It's always been to create, to thrive, to grow, to make this world. The reason we don't have to get up and put on a spacesuit in the morning It's because God built it for us. And that means something. And it should, and I'm hoping that it's going to, it's going to purify a little bit my expectations about the Spirit. So, all right. The second thing I looked at last week, and I do believe is super important, is, uh, how are we doing on time? Okay. Uh, is the situation in Exodus where the Spirit had a direct part in building God's place among His people, you know, through uh, the, the giving of His Spirit to uh, Bezalel? But the title that I put on there is just like the Holy Spirit is first introduced to us in Scripture, building a place for us. Now the Holy Spirit is involved specifically. It's the, the only specific reference to that in the whole issue building the tabernacle with all the smoke, all the lighting, all Moses up and down the mountain, the tablets, everything. The Spirit is talked about building a place, this time not for man, but for God, with man. God with man. So at first, He built a place for man, and now He's building a place for for God with man. So then the Lord, now we're talking uh, Jehovah. Then the Lord Jehovah spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart uh, moves him and you shall raise that contribution. So just basically, you guys remember the big offering. So they're out there, they're at the base of Sinai and the the tabernacle revelation has been coming to Moses and the people have been wrestling with various things. And then they said, "You know, get this from the people. And this is the contribution which you are to raise from them. Gold, silver, bronze, purple, blue, purple, scarlet material, fine linen goat hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and setting stones for the ephod and the breastplate. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them, according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnitures, just so you shall construct it. So there's a lot in there. Uh, Vicki asked a question of her Facebook followers, uh, about why, why questions about God. And a, a gal that we knew in Bible college, Gina said, yeah, like every time I read Exodus, I go, how did people wandering in the desert get porpoise skins? <laughs> or how do you weave goat hair? Cause all the goat hair she'd ever seen was really short. <laughs> anyway, so there was, it was a funny little response, but I want you to, to, I want you to, uh, the reason I included this, Uh, because you're going to go, where's the Spirit in this thing? Is this, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. Now, I want you to think with me. God did give the revelation of all this stuff. So, the whole pattern for the tabernacle, the whole pattern for the the governmental structure of Israel, all this stuff, it came from God, no, no doubt about it. But God didn't need the Israelites to make a tabernacle for him. You know, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. He needed them to participate with him. All this stuff wasn't primarily and first given to manage sin. It was given to provide relationship. And look at what it says. Let them construct a sanctuary for me. Okay, let's call that the command. The order. Why? That I may dwell among them. Isn't that incredible? So here we are in the same situation. In creation, whatever role the Spirit played in that hovering, fertilizing thing that was indicated in there, the, the point of it was so that when God got done at the end, He could kneel down Be with them and bless them. And he did. He walked with them in the cool of the evening, right? All right, so here, the purpose of all of this stuff, all of the porpoise skins and the acacia wood and everything, was that I may dwell with them. That began to change my whole heart about this. So, here it is as it begins. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold, Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherub of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim will be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Now, there's a lot here. I don't pretend to know even a tiny portion of all of it, except I do know, I know some stuff. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the Ark of the Covenant, I will speak to you about all that I will give you. And I didn't not emphasize in commandment for the son of Israel, because I don't think that's important. But the root even of the commandments was giving. So I know that there was a time in my life before Yana said something that got through to me, uh, that, that the Sabbath was, I thought of like kind of a duty, you know, in other words, I need to honor and restrict the rest, the blessing, that part of thing, the Shabbat. But no. It's a gift. And, you know, she helped me really see that. And now I see it and I actually try to participate in it. You know, I, I, I believe in the renewal of it. I believe in all that. But again, the intention of God is here. Now, how is, as detailed as those instructions are, what's the shape of the wings? What's the face of the cherubim look like? What's the angle of the face as it looks down on the mercy seat? This is a place where God's going to come. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, and the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Once again, it's Ruah Elohim. In wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, and in the cutting of stones for setting, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And then it goes on, a few verses later, and it talks about the community here, but it talked about these other guys that were also given by God, but in a little bit of a different thing. And behold, I myself have appointed with him uh, Oholiab, the son of Ahishmah, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat upon it, and all the furniture in the tent, on and on. So, Here's where the Spirit is revealed to again prepare the way for the intimacy that God wanted to have with His people. I want to be with you. I want to speak with you about this. And so I believe that we can draw from this the emphasis that I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God and the interaction not a passive thing, not just a download or a deposit, but the interaction, the working through this man as he trains these other people and as he capitalizes on their skills, as this community of craftsmen was being formed, that the the function, the ministry, however you want to call it, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is what allowed the cherubim to be made the way they were. It's what allowed that little filigree around the outside edge of the mercy seat to be what it is. It's what allowed the message of that ark containing the testimony, the witness. And then the place where the blood would be shed. All this kind of stuff. It's Think of everything that came from this detail. That all came as a result of the Spirit of Elohim being in this man. In this man. And I don't think Moses had to go in and go, oh, I'd I'd like to see it look more like this, or I'd like to micromanage the way... No, why? Not because this guy was such a talented artist and had a big reputation for that. No, I don't think that was it either. All he'd ever been was a slave. It was because of the the active role that Ruach Elohim had in his life. And through his life, into the lives of others, and in the lives of that small community of artisan and craftsmen, it was the one that uh, that changed the, the nature of the revelation of Yahweh. And that was a big deal. That was a big deal because all the other people, they were all coming out of there with the gods of Egypt as their model. Not the one who would speak to them from above the cherubim. Does that make sense? Now, Bezalel did make the Ark of Acacia Wood. And what was interesting, and the reason I even wanted to point this out, is that it specifically says in the Exodus story that it was this guy that made these specific things. A lot of people worked, and he worked on a lot of stuff, but a lot of people worked on the sockets and on the boards and on the curtains and all this stuff. But now Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia Wood. He made the mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide. He made the two cherubim of gold. He made them hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub at one end, one cherub at the other. He made the cherub of one piece with the mercy seat at the two ends. The cherub had their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces toward each other. The faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat. So, whatever this thing finally ended up looking like was a dynamic interaction, interface, between the very spirit of Elohim and this man, and the community. And apparently, it was okay, because God came. Now, here's a... Uh, this is just the end. So God did keep his promise to Moses and to us. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. This is Exodus 40. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses. Now, I put this in here because it's confusing and... Um, I don't mind things being confusing. We just need to grow up and let the scripture be what it is. Uh, So, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Now, this was after a year or so, I don't remember exactly the the dating on it, that it took to build and collect all these things and build it and so on. So, after Moses set it up, the, the end of the Exodus story says this, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, we're familiar with the fact that the glory of the Lord can make it hard to be in a place, make it hard to minister, make it hard to stand, all this kind of stuff. Um, You know, We know that when Solomon dedicated the temple later. But here's the Numbers story, and I thought this was fascinating because the Numbers story went into a ton more detail. So Numbers chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, read this way. Now, on the day that Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, and you should read it sometime because uh, the Exodus part, Tells a lot about how he set it up. It talks about him putting the sockets in place and putting the boards in place and draping the fabric and p- putting the poles on the in the rings of the the arc. It was just beautiful. It was a beautiful. I mean, you could really envision this as a community workplace of uh, that the whole community was doing. And it took a long time to put it together. All right, so. But now on the day, or, uh, then the cloud. Could, now on the day that Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it with all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. He anointed them and consecrated them also. And then verse two says, "Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the fathers' household, made an offering." And if you'll notice, I jumped from verse two to verse eighty-nine because we'd be here till eight thirty or so reading they, this one uh, uh, tribe and family. Brought the silver bowls weighing this many shekels and this and that and the other. It just went on and on and on and on. And the glory of the Lord, no doubt, did there. I'm not saying that what it said in Exodus wasn't it, but the abbreviated version of Exodus leaves you with the impression that, I don't know, how did this happen? Verse 89 says this. This is after this, this entire multi-day processional thing. Now when Moses went into the tent of meeting, and that confused me because I thought the tent of meeting was that little place that he had erected prior to all this stuff to get to know the Lord. But this is called the tent of meeting now. It usurped that role. Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with him. He heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubims. So he spoke to him. So God did exactly what He said He was going to do. But the way He got in a position and put the people in a position was through the leadership and the interaction of the Holy Spirit in this person, Bezalel, and undoubtedly working in other ways. But I just thought, wow. So once again, we have the Holy Spirit birthing a place, creating a place, managing a place, managing the construction to building the creation of a place so that God and man could be together. And I have a feeling that job assignments in in the realm of the eternal, the remember the, the eternal spirit? We got that one verse about that. that. I don't think that the Holy Spirit's purpose is all that different today. So back in Exodus, he did exactly what he said. He said, there I will meet with you. Remember earlier he had said, cause the people to give a contribution and then build me a place so I can meet with them and speak to them. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the Son of Israel. God did it. And the Holy Spirit somehow, this time, through a person, facilitated it. And we do understand, right, that God could have just said, let there be a tabernacle. And it would have been. But that isn't how he works. That isn't how He works. God could say, let the world be evangelized. Oof! The world's evangelized. But there's something in the heart of the Father that cries out, and, and He does so out of love, yes, but He does so out of wisdom, and out of justice, and out of mercy, and out of power. cries out for there to be participation. Jesus didn't need servants to fill water pots for him to turn them into pots full of wine. Did he? But he did do that. He did do that. So, here's the, the New Testament connection with that. I think the Spirit is still building the meeting place between God and man. This is Ephesians 14, and thinking about the role of the Spirit in creation with the, with the end goal. Well, first of all, with the initial thought being to build a place perfectly suited for man to be put in, and then God calling that very good and meeting with man in blessing before the fall. And I'm not really even fretting over the fall. Right? I don't want to lose the beauty of the initial purpose, the original created value. But for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Here it is again. To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Why? The same reason Bezalel was strengthened by the Spirit of Elohim in his inner man. So that God can come and meet with us. Look, to be strengthened with power through His his Spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The goal is as outlandish as it has ever been in the heart of the Father. That we would be filled. That we would be made in His image and likeness. That we would reflect His glory. That we would know Him and be known by Him. Why are we strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man? Just like Bezalel, right? So that we can build a place that Christ can dwell in our hearts. And then down here in John 4.10, I had to throw this in just because this is one of my favorite Greek word challenges. And I don't see a lot of people talking about it. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. This word is hilosmos, the propitiation for our sins. Because of the influence of Western culture and Greek philosophy and uh, and Roman culture, we have a tendency to translate this and think about it in a Western way rather than in a Hebrew way. Uh, hilosmos is this one in Romans where it talks about propitiation. It's hilasterion. Hilasterion is the word in the Septuagint that that matches. It translates the word caparet. Caparet is the mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat. The work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts is so that the mercy seat can be here. The judgments of God have already been rendered in, in, in a very real sense in that way. He has created a place. The initial thrust of that place into humanity in the people of Israel under the promises of Abraham and under the leadership of Moses was the caperet. I will be above it. I will speak to you from it. My Shekinah glory will be here. And so on and so forth. The continuation of that reality the mercy seat, the caparet, is Jesus. It is Jesus. It's the place where God and the people of God had their lives mediated and He could be with them and in them, in the midst of them. That's where Jesus is. So anyway, the role the Spirit plays is the exact same role that we can read, I think, and and let be as big as it can be in creation, in the specifics that focused on the creation of the ark and the mercy seat, and the same role that's happening in our lives. So, I used my time. Sorry. Any quick questions or thoughts as the kids come out and Laurel takes up? We're going to be on this for a little while. I want you to anticipate that the role the Spirit played in the incarnation of Christ has the same theme. The role that He played in the anointing of the ministry of Christ has the same theme. The role that He played in the birthing of the church has the same theme. And the role that He has and has taken up in your life to cause you to be born of the Spirit Remember Jesus said that to Nicodemus? It's the same thing. It's not that we can somehow chase after God and maybe find Him. It's so that we can be with Him and He can be with us. And I believe the Spirit is as efficient and as effective in His ministry as He was in creation and as He was right there in the nation of Israel. Okay? We'll keep going. We'll have time for more questions next week. We'll eventually get to the thorny stuff, but I—I I, I didn't want to—I <laughs> didn't want to let this go by. I didn't want to let this go by.